You're listening to the Energy Policy Podcast, a production of the Center for the New Energy Economy at Colorado State University. I'm your host, Tom Plant. I'm your co-host, Jeff Ling. And this week, we're finishing up our discussion around electric vehicles, electric vehicle policies. We started out with uh, why states would want to advance uh, alternative fuel vehicles, particularly electric vehicles. Uh, last, uh, the last episode, we talked a little bit about what specific policies were being implemented in states around the country in order to do this. And we want to take a, a kind of a different look at it because this is this week, um, because this is a policy that um, sort of straddles some uh, sectors that were, you know, formerly not connected and, and it connects them. And so we're not just talking anymore about transportation policy or uh, transportation fuel policy, as we're, particularly in the case of electric vehicles, as we're moving into the electric sector, we can start to talk about what are the impacts on the utility world um, as we look at an expanding electric vehicle fleet. Well, that's really well said, Tom. So I think, and you're absolutely right, you're talking about two different sectors that have largely been distinct, right, transportation liquid fuels, and the utility sector. And so and we've already talked about the climate benefits, as you mentioned, you know, the reason for a shift to electric vehicles. Um, but when you think about what public policies exist or, or could exist to encourage utilities to electrify the transportation sector, we're really just on the, on the beginning edge of that, on the leading edge of that. There are several different pilots out there that utilities and car dealerships and OEMs are, um, you know, in the midst of. Um, But there certainly isn't a proliferation of policies uh, currently to uh, encourage utilities to electrify the transportation system. Right, and it seems like there should be sort of an inherent desire on the part of utilities, particularly in this changing utility landscape that we've talked about quite a bit with reducing uh, load, uh, increasing energy efficiency that's reducing the amount of of uh, uh, growth and load for the utilities uh, with the deployment of distributed resources that are owned by customers and no longer uh, relying on the utilities to produce and sell all that power. Um, they're seeing revenues decline in that way. And we've talked a lot about that changing utility business model. But when we talk about electric vehicles, this is actually an area where they can see tremendous load growth. Yeah, no question. So, the, you know, the rooftop solar movement, the energy efficiency, although I think we should say that when it comes to energy efficiency, we have policies such as decoupling, which we've talked right. about in past po- podcasts that kind of um, negate the uh, or, or cancel out the, the loss of revenue and in some cases do better than that. But solar PV is a, is a vexing problem to the utilities. It's a loss of load issue. But in comes electric vehicles, very new kind of plug loads, you can think of them that way, uh, that require substantial amounts of um, uh, electrical uh, generation to charge batteries. And so might there be a, a way to sort of cancel out that loss of load with EVs? And, and these sort of these two curves are both kind of going up in a hockey stick kind of motion, right? Solar PV and electric vehicles. And because uh, your, your traditional vehicle engine is so inefficient in terms of turning fuel into, into energy, um, even though they're increasing load with EVs, they're actually still contributing to a reduction in emissions, albeit in different sectors. Right. 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 So that we haven't we haven't looked at these two sectors together, and we still don't. the The EPA will talk a little bit about the Clean Power Plan, 
um, and how EVs might integrate into the clean power plan. But even at the EPA, while they both regulate uh, <clears throat> carbon emissions as a pollutant for vehicles and for power plants, they don't do them in the same part of the EPA. Yeah, they so don't do them within the same That's a really role. good example. You know, the, <laughs> the, clean, the clean power plan, which is based on uh, uh, Section 111D of the Clean Air Act, is a 30 calls upon states, the draft rule anyway, uh, calls upon states to reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions, specifically CO2, 30% by the year 2030. And the, the final rule is expected out here uh, sometime in August, but it's for, it, um, for existing source uh, power generation, existing uh, uh, generating units, electric generating units. And it doesn't comp contemplate. I should say it's silent on it's silent on electric vehicles. the possibility of electric vehicles driving that that shift. And there's you know there's some question about can can states uh, somehow use electric vehicles within a, a plan that they might submit? Can and, they capture those savings? You're right. Saying can it? you capture some of the savings or at least um, be able to make electric vehicle deployment a component in a larger plan? For example, uh, if one of the one of the potential advantages of electric vehicles is if you think about it as just when you plug in your electric vehicle, you're connecting storage to your utility system. Mm -hmm. And is there a way that that storage can then increase the capacity of renewables that you can bring on to and manage on that elect on that utility system? That might be a way in which, uh, electric vehicles can become a component of a plan. Um, but you also, on the other hand, are going to be looking at how, uh, you know, load growth that's driven by potential electric vehicle deployment is going to be handled under the plan. So it's a question of how do you, how do you quantify that, that CO2 benefit, right? You're right. taking reduced tailpipe emissions from the transportation sector and then trying to capture that through... Um, through electric, electric generation from uh, renewable or low-emitting uh, fossil, fossil resources, and then documenting that in a state implementation plan to EPA. So that's a lot of work. Yeah. That's a lot to put on a state. EPA does kind of open the door for the possibility of a, I'll call it a fifth building block and for technologies that they didn't specifically put in the, the proposed rule. Um, but it, it certainly doesn't, it's not... Uh, doesn't create a lot of certainty, I wouldn't say, for the electric vehicle market under the clean power plan. One of the other, you know, one of the other big questions is, as um, you know, states look at trying to get utilities to maybe invest in the infrastructure build out that can help to create this charging infrastructure for electric vehicles around the country. How are the utilities going to get compensated for that, right? So yeah. right now, utilities are compensated for building generation and transmission. Um, facilitating, you know, the connection of an electric vehicle, you know, there's not really a lot in our existing law about that. Washington State tried to address that this year a little bit. Right. So, so presumably, any utility that is that is rate regulated would be allowed to recover their costs and earn a rate of return for uh, transmission and distribution and substation infrastructure that they build out for electric vehicles. Um, they wouldn't necessarily earn more than what they uh, normally are allowed to recover. In the case of Washington State, this is an interesting piece of legislation. 
Washington um, House Bill 1853. You can find it on the AELtracker.org, Washington uh, 1853, which has been uh, which is, uh, has been enacted. Uh, directs the uh, Washington Utilities and Transportation Commission, which is how they call their Public Utilities Commission, to allow Washington utilities to recover an additional 2% rate of return for infrastructure, and infrastructure is sort of defined broadly here, to enable electric vehicles. So this is a direct um, rate of return adder. It's an incentive to utilities in the state of Washington to build out the infrastructure for EVs. Yeah, which, you know, as we've talked about in uh, previous episodes, you know, you've got this chicken and egg issue with, with EVs. People are a little hesitant to purchase EVs uh, because there's not a, a, a huge charging infrastructure out there right now. You don't have a lot of private companies jumping to build right. out that charging infrastructure because there aren't many EVs. Mm -hmm. um, that one connecting tissue between both of these is the uh, grid infrastructure that's uh, that's available for build out and I think we should point out that you know in our conversations with um, with a number of the charging um, infrastructure companies they see a very uh, important role for utilities to build out that infrastructure but they're also interested in seeing that utility ownership stop at the point where you you develop the where you put the charging piece, the interface with the customer. So, right? so, so physically the device where you, uh, where you sort of uh, charge the vehicle, you might do a transactional, you know, pay for charging. You're saying that the third parties really want the utilities to invest in that infrastructure sort of up to the service entrance level, right. and then they would own the customer relationship. I, I actually think that's a point of kind of debate, yeah. right? I think some of the utilities may say, they're not quite sure whether they want to um, own that relationship with the customers, whether they want to offer specialized tariffs, um, or whether it, that's best left to the to to third parties. Um, and I think you're you're right, you're absolutely right to to raise this chicken and the egg question. And I think companies, utility companies, are probably wrestling with, um, you know, if we build this infrastructure, what's the adoption rate? And likewise, what's the adoption rate if we don't build the infrastructure? And, you know, what is the potential impact to revenue? And I think, Tom, you know, one of the places where states might look, policymakers might look to, in this area is to say, we're going to do a market potential study. Mm -hmm. We're going to look at how many EVs are on the road today in our state, how many are likely to be on the road in five and ten years. And what implications does that have on, on infrastructure? And also uh, prioritization of where that infrastructure might get built, right? Right, some form of, a, of an EV plan, a statewide EV right. plan. And we see, you know, we see states looking uh, at corridors within their state and also corridors among states. So certainly the northwest states uh, have looked at a, a northwest corridor right. uh, that would provide uh, consistent EV charging, charging capacity so that somebody could drive an EV um, all the way up and down the West Coast. So, Tom, we talked about federal policy. We talked a little bit about the Clean Air Act and the Clean Power Plan, which is, which is really sort of the, the biggest thing happening in CO2 emissions reductions, and that it's a possibility that electric vehicles could be part of uh, state plans, although uh, there isn't direct certainty from EPA, at least in the, in the draft rule for, for it. We talked about a state example in Washington state where the legislature has directed the commission to 
prioritize incentives and actually offer a higher rate of return to utilities to uh, electrify the transportation sector. But I actually think at the more local and also kind of transactional level, um, as two people that have purchased electric vehicles in the last year, there's a lot that can be done to give utilities better consumer data. Yeah. Right, so that they can build the grid in a more sort of effective way. And, and there's a hesitation on the part of, uh, I think, of, of folks to to want to disclose to the utility that they're getting an EV, right? Um, there's, a, there's a sense, I think, among people that they'd rather just stay anonymous mm-hmm. um, because they're worried that there might be a, a special tariff that's applied to them or there might be some kind of a fee or, you know, if they don't know anything, then nothing bad can Better happen to Better to keep me, the utility right? in the dark, yeah. <laughs> But I think that, um, you know, this is another area where maybe policymakers can enter into the fray and protect consumers because it really is important information for the utility to get. I mean, when you connect a, uh, an EV uh, to, to, at your house, for example, it's almost like adding another house, right? Sure, and these it, are, what, 25 kilowatt hour batteries, right? right? Yeah. That's the equivalent in some cases of having like several hair dryers on at once. <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, I think there's reasons that the utilities would want to know about it um, from, from the perspective of managing their... Um, their uh, their infrastructure so that they don't have over um, you know overuse on their infrastructure at any one time. Also, to be able to manage their power more effectively, I think there's a real opportunity there for power management. Of course, that requires a certain level of intelligent infrastructure that needs to get implemented, and and that's something that right. certainly EVs can accelerate the adoption of. So there's a lot of system advance, uh, advantages to sharing that information, but I think that maybe consumers are concerned that they don't have enough protection against potential backlash. So there's a privacy component. Yeah. And so my experience when I bought my Volt, I don't think I was even ever asked the question, do I want to provide my data, my, uh, my household data, or even where I live to the utility? Um, and there, there presumably are ways to maybe make that um, opt out rather than opt in, mm-hmm. meaning that uh, could you imagine a relationship with local dealers and the utilities where they automatically give the customer location so that the utility can, ter- can convert that into a premise number and to a meter. Um, and if you don't want it, you can opt out. That's mm-hmm. how most of the data meter data programs work. They are, they are opt out, meaning there's a default utility gets the data or a third party gets the data, but the customer can opt out if they wish, if there's a privacy issue. We're not doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that seems to me one of, the, one of the easier low or no cost ways to at least give the utilities information on where these vehicles are going into their systems. Yeah. Yeah. So clearly, uh, interface with uh, utilities, I think, also creates a a transactional opportunity for customers if there's policies in place in terms of rate design. If you're feeding back into the utility system, if you're providing a service to the utility for them to be able to store power and pull power off when they need peak power, for example, uh, uh, they can pay the customer for that kind of that kind of a service, and and so that there can become this two-way transactional uh, sort of relationship. But certainly, that can only happen if uh, each are aware that the other's there. <laughs> yeah. So I think my takeaway from this segment is that um, you know the vehicle technology 
is is far outstripping where the public policy is at to build out the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in some cases, in many states, there there really isn't a plan for electric vehicle adoption and for infrastructure. There, the utilities are not getting the customer data. There, there aren't incentives to uh, encourage the build out of EVs or customer adoption. And yet, right, the OEMs are kind of leapfrogging one another with uh, larger batteries, you know, larger distances, really addressing the consumer kind of uh, anxiety and barriers around adoption of EVs. But the public policy is is five or ten years behind where the vehicles are. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think uh, uh, before we before we finish up this podcast, I think it's good to acknowledge as well that while there's a great deal of advancement going on with uh, vehicle batteries and vehicle, you know, electric vehicle technology, mm-hmm. it's also feeding the utility storage, uh, you know, body of knowledge as well. And so we're seeing you know, uh, an advancement in batteries that can be used in a distributed sense outside of vehicles. Right, uh, just, right. We saw the big Tesla Powerwall announcement with, uh, you know, Tesla taking their vehicle battery and making a home unit uh, that, that or a business unit or even a utility unit, uh, once you tag them together, uh, that can be used to better manage our power throughout the grid. I think there's also. So you're suggesting a secondary market for these batteries. Well, is that I think what you're there's saying? there's a there's a primary benefit just in the technology advancement mm-hmm. and and the the ability for these batteries to be used uh, at the beginning uh, right. as a, as a storage medium, but there, as you pointed out, there's also a potential secondary market that the usage of a building in a battery is very, very different than the usage of a vehicle in a battery. The, the discharge rates, the discharge depth of rates, cycling, the, the, all that. The requirement of power that's necessary, you know, for range. Yeah. Um, when, when you're connected to the grid and you're using that battery to manage power, you don't need those huge, um, you know, uh, capabilities. And as you're, you've got uh, batteries that are going to deplete over time uh, it, that are out in vehicles today, um, you know, they may not be in you know, 10, 15 years, they may not be, you know, as good for a vehicle application, but they I might see. be perfect for a building. So they might not be a vehicle quality, but they could certainly uh, store and swing capacity for uh, building applications Absolutely. in a secondary purpose. Absolutely. That's interesting. So anyway, lots to think about. Uh, you've been listening to the Energy Policy Podcast, uh, production of the Center for the New Energy Economy at Colorado State University. I'm your host, Tom Plant. I'm your co-host, Jeff Lane. Thanks a lot for listening.